this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we're talking to cool people doing cool things. And today we have, I think it's safe to say, a mission-based business. We are talking with Susan Elwer, and she is the founder of Spoonful Apparel. Susan, thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. I came across your website, I think, from a woman that I have known that runs a company called Tandem Vintage. Oh, okay. And I don't know how I maybe was on her Instagram and then I saw yours, but I was interested in what you do because in my previous life, I owned a printing and direct mail company. And as part of that, over time, we were serving lots of businesses and customers Mm -hmm. and they were saying they needed promotional products. So we started to get into the promotional product business, the t-shirt printing, coffee cups, that sort of thing. So when I saw your whole profile and how you guys do things and the mission-based way that you do it. I was very interested in that. So can you just give the listener a little bit of a breakdown about who you are and how you do it a little bit differently? Right. So Spoonful Apparel, uh, we create primarily apparel, but we've been branching out into other products such as socks, mugs, stickers, hats, that type of thing. But our mission is to help end child hunger in the, in the United States. And so how we do that is we donate 50% of our profits um, to organizations that are working to end childhood hunger. So locally we give to Second Harvest Heartland and the Sheridan Story, but we have a localization strategy on our website. So if you're in California, the dollars go to an organization in California. So how did... okay. Let's just back up a second. What did you do before starting Spoonful Apparel? I was an assistant in a preschool classroom. Wow. So very different. Very different. And actually, I went to school for criminal justice. So very different from that, too. Um, Actually, out of college, I ran a a supervised visitation program through Hennepin County. Okay. So you have social justice in your background and um, social work, we'll just say. Yeah. Yep. Um, So then... um, so I, I, I did, I ran that program for a while, went into the corporate uh, world and then stayed home when I had my two daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my youngest Reese was back in school, I decided I needed, I wanted to do something. Um, and I love kids. Um, so I thought I'll get a job in the, um, school system. And so I was an assistant in preschool classroom, um, in 2000. 16 found out one of my kiddos in my classroom had gone the first half of the school year without a school lunch and it broke my heart actually made me cry I said I'll make him a lunch until we can connect his family to the right services which they were able to do Um, but I grew up on welfare in a single parent family Um, we relied on welfare for housing clothing medical food everything do you mind if I pick at that a little bit were you in um, where'd you grow up uh, St. Paul. Okay. And did you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Were you in a single parent household? Uh, single parent household. I had one, uh, two siblings, one half sister. So she was not in the house when I was growing up, but then I had a brother that was a year older than I am. Do you remember when you, um, became aware that you were on assistance? Um, it probably really became apparent when we'd go, like when I was old enough to realized that, Hey, my mom's paying with food stamps because back in the day it was paper money. Yeah. You didn't have like a credit card that you'd swipe. So it could be very discreet. Whereas back in the day you had food stamps and they were like, I mean, looked like monopoly money pretty much. And, um, so once I kind of figured out like, Hey, this is not 
what other people are paying with. And then the other um, thing that made me realize too was my lunch ticket was a different color because we received free and reduced lunches. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say probably like second grade, I kind of became aware of it. Do you remember feeling like different or othered or embarrassed or was it just part of kind of your everyday life? Um, you know, I don't think anybody else really knew about it other than, cause we lived in a low income housing area too. So obviously there were similar families yep. in our neighborhood, but once I got into school and my friends had, you know, houses and two parents, you know, became more apparent. Um, but I think it was, I don't think I ever felt like I was lacking necessarily. You know, I, I couldn't take a cold lunch to school. I mean, yep. that was like my biggest thing. Like my friends, they could have all these fun, you know, lunches that they could bring, but I was stuck with the hot lunch. Yep. Um, so that's funny how that expresses itself that hot lunch becomes because you would think it would be the opposite like cold one lunch would be like oh cold lunch boring but, and stuff but yeah. no they were bringing all these fun things I'm like oh better cheddars I want some of those or sure. you know whatever it was um but so and I don't know that I was necessarily embarrassed um but just kind of I knew that aware I was just aware that this was not typical where'd you go to high school uh, Como Park. Okay, so I say that because we're recording this in St. Paul mm-hmm. and um, right at my home, actually. And so I feel like you're kind of a neighborhood gal. Yes. Was there someone, so now you're in high school, and did you automatically think you were going to go to college? Was there someone at high school that helped kind of make that uh, a option for you and help you get there? Uh, well, I knew early on that if I wanted to break this cycle of poverty um, and some like just family dysfunction in general, that I needed to go to school. Um, and no one ever really talked to me about it. I just knew that, that that's what I needed to do. Actually, it's it's kind of a funny story now, but when I told my mom that, hey, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go and apply to school, to college, she's like, yeah, I don't think that's probably a good idea. You should just get a job. It, it will be fine. And I'm like, no, I, I think this is what I need to do. And I think from her, you know, I was, I was angry at the time, probably when she, she as all young had teenage that, girls right, are exactly. with their mothers. We yeah. hate them. Right. Um, but looking back, I think it was, she was coming from a place of like, well, fear probably of like course. how are you going to afford this yeah and not wanting um, you to be disappointed right exactly so um yeah i just i just knew that i needed to get an edu- a higher education i'm always curious about that because when you are a kid that has a lot of obstacles stacked against you i find it fascinating how some people are able to take those circumstances and let's just use the horrible euphemism of pull yourself up by the bootstraps kid. And some people are able to do that and other people aren't. And I, you know, you want everyone to have that same opportunity. You want everyone to have that same ability and some people do it and some people don't. And I just wonder like, what is the thing that makes you think that at your young age and pursue that and get the people to help you to get you what you need. My dog just came around. So sorry if she's sniffing okay. your lap. Um, versus other kids that don't ever get that help and maybe just stay in the silent majority. Right. Right. I think for me, um, I'm pretty stubborn. Um, so perhaps that helped. Um, 
And I think too, my friend group, uh, was a big factor. You know, they, they came, well, the majority of them came from a two parent household. They were going to go to school. Um, so maybe it was just me wanting to be like them and seeing that there are other options. Um, but I do specifically remember, you know, knowing that, yeah, um, the dysfunction that was in my family was not something that I needed to repeat. Yeah. So you go to college, you get into college. Like when you got in, was your mom surprised, impressed, scared? You know, honestly, I don't know. I think she might've just been like, Oh, okay. I yeah, don't know like that it's there just was a, a thing. lot. It wasn't a lot, um, a fanfare associated with yeah. it. Um, I was so excited to leave though. I went to Winona state yep. and it wasn't that far away, but for me, it was just like on my own, like, and just being responsible for myself, yeah, you know, and starting over that fresh start. My niece kind of had a troubled upbringing. And when she got into the University of Minnesota Duluth and we brought her up there and moved her into the dorms, like I just remembered thinking for her, like, wow, this is your fresh start. Yes. Like, and she yes. really just could be blend in with all the other kids and nobody had to know her financial status. Right. And no one knows your history. Yeah. And it's a fresh start. She wasn't labeled as, you yeah. know, anything from school or nobody had known any uh, situations with her mom. And right. I really felt, um, uh, proud of her and I can imagine what that felt like. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I loved it. I mean, I, I remember that day, you know, my mom actually, didn't move me in. My mm-hmm. sister did and, my, and a friend. And I just remember waving goodbye in the parking lot. Yeah. I'm like, wow. And I wasn't like, to me now, I'd be like nervous, scared, the unknown. But back then it was just like, whew, bring it on. Yeah. I'm ready for what the world yes. has to offer. Yes. So, okay. You're in school and you then are working in a preschool. You have had some kids. Tell me about how you decided to get into the apparel business. I have this idea and I might be completely wrong, but that it was an accident. Yeah. Well, (laughs) really, you know, so I am Christian and it was sitting, I was sitting in church and I had collected what I would consider like a list of inspiring messages based on podcasts. Um, the messages at church, books I'd read, that kind of thing. And I just when you felt say like, collected them, did you type them up? Did I, you have them in, in a Pinterest notebook. page in on a notebook? notebook. Okay, yep. in my notebook. And I just felt like one day in church, God placed my heart like you need to start an apparel company. And can I, I t- ask you about that? Yeah. I'm going to pick at all these yeah. things. Yeah. So I am not. Uh, I'm a spiritual person, but not in a religious way necessarily. So are you saying that like you're sitting in church and you have your heart open and you're there to practice your belief in the Lord and you literally like heard a voice, had a feeling. What do you mean by that? It was just a feeling. It was a feeling. And I even remembered, you know, like doodling a t-shirt and just writing like a message on it. I just felt it was just like a feeling. It wasn't like he actually spoke to me. Yeah. Um, but it was just like that feeling of contentment. Like this is what I need to do. And and at that point it was just an idea. Um, I certainly didn't think it would be what it is today. Sure. Um, so I took that idea, nudged my husband in church and I'm like, I'm going to start an apparel company. And he's like, where'd this come from? And the more I, the more I put it out there, the more, you know, feedback we got from different people. And they're like, why not give it a try? What, what do you have to lose? Um, and I am not a risk taker. I'm very much centered in like, it, not necessarily black and white. Definitely, there's a lot of gray. But I, just like, is it safe? 
you know, I can totally see that particularly yeah. with your upbringing. Right. Like, yeah, you have to make choices that are going to be me. safe choices for yes. you, for your family, because yes. anything could happen. Yes. You lived in what I'm assuming is a certain amount of chaos and you're trying to not replicate that. Yeah. Um, I really resonate with that because I spend a lot of my life trying to create order just so that I have that, don't have that chaotic feeling all the time. Right. right. Like I don't, this is totally weird, but I make my bed every day. Like simply because when I go into my bedroom, whether I'm going there to work or to sleep or to just hang out, that idea of that it's all pristine and it's all made and it's all ready feels yes. calming to me. Exactly. Exactly. And there's structure, right? Yes. I mean, there's, there's, there's a certain amount of comfort from structure. And when we started a company, my husband and I, I'm not the risk taker either. He was, and I was always the, you know, ball and chain that was pulling him back and holding him back and saying, no, 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 we can't do this unless we have proven factual statistics that we can make our money back. Mm-hmm. And so that had to be like you totally going against the grain of Very everything much you know. So. Very much so. So, um, you know, had this idea. My husband has a lot of business experience. He actually was also a criminal justice major, but then left that pretty early on. Um, and we just thought, let's, let's put this idea out there. Um, he's got a, a few contacts in the city too. And we sat down with them and they're like, give it a shot. So we built a website. Um, and at that time, actually, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, we were actually called hands and feet mm-hmm. and we rebranded just this last April of 2019. Okay. Um, why the rebrand? There was a disconnect uh, as far as what we were doing and, and what our name was. People, quite frankly, thought we were either a spa, they could get their it manicure. It sounds like it, yeah. It does, it does. And so for us, hands and feet, um, you know, we're, we're the hands of God. We have the hands to do the work and the feet to go do it. Yep. Um, and so sometimes that resonated with some people, sometimes it didn't. And we don't brand ourselves as a Christian company because for the ma- the fact that food, um, insecurity affects everybody, no matter what your race religion is. Yep. Um, so we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves. So in April, actually probably closer in January of last year, sat down with what we thought was going to be a redesign of our logo. And on the way to the meeting, I turned to my husband, I said, Oh, I, I think we need to change the name. And he's like, Let's do it. So then that became a brainstorming session about, you know, how do we arrive at a name that speaks to what we're doing more? And then that's how we came up with Spoonful Apparel. So your first website, did you do it yourself? Did you hire someone to do it? We did hire someone and they did a great job. And again, it's just like, you don't know what you don't know. Of course. Um, And looking back, it was much more a... corporate kind of based website like sure. oh i guess you can buy clothing on here whereas the the website we have right now it's very like there's no uh um it's it's clear call to action buy our clothes provide meals that's what's interesting about what you just said um i had never thought about it in that context that there's different websites for different purposes yes yeah I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah, and, and again, you just, I mean, we loved it at the time. It served a great purpose for the, you know, year plus that we had it. Um, but I think to the more I'm in the business, the more I'm uh, more okay with risks and kind of um, questioning maybe decisions that we, we'd made early on. And yeah, being okay like all good pivoting. entrepreneurs. Yes, yep. being able to pivot and 
um, kind of think outside of what maybe you originally, your idea was. So the general premise here is you take these slogans and you put them on shirts and people buy these shirts. Did you always have a um, mindset to donate from the very beginning. Yes. Yes. And that came from, again, the experience. So I think it all kind of came together around the same time, you know, the idea to have, to create the apparel. And then I, um, you know, met this, the, the boy in my classroom. Um, and again, it was, based off of um a podcast i'd listened to by andy stanley and it's like what breaks your heart i had listened to that earlier in the year and it basically says look around you in your community in your environment what pulls on your heartstrings what would you change if you could and then that was one of the things that obviously resonated with me um because of my personal experience mm-hmm. so you have these slogans it's kind of interesting to be in the apparel business and the t-shirt business in particular. It's super competitive. Yes. Where are you going to order these shirts? They can come from all over the world. The quality, like how did you quickly learn all those things you needed to know to get this set up? So the gentleman that uh, Lund Solutions, um, they're the people that put our website together. He also then had some connections within the like apparel printing yep. um, industry. And so initially we went that route. And can I ask, because printing has changed so much. You can now do like a one-off, meaning you can just digitally print one shirt versus in the day you had to order like a thousand shirts to get the price per point low. Were you doing digital printing or were you inventorying? We we are inventorying. So we our basement has shelving and uh, inventory in it. Yes. Was there a reason that you went that route versus the digital route? Um, again, you know, that's kind of what was presented to us sure. originally. Um, now... And I, because I do different pop-up markets and that type of thing as well, not just selling on the website, I like to have an inventory. Sure. Um, and then hopefully the direction too is like branching out this year to do wholesale. Yeah. Too. I so noticed then, that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, evolved from where we first started. When you have a t-shirt and let's say the t-shirt says like you rock. Okay. That's not something that you made up. That's not something that we can trace back to the original person that uttered the words. Therefore, they get that copyright. Do you run into issues with that with t-shirts and t-shirt design? Actually, all of the um, designs and the messages I've come up with. And it's so like I choose happiness was one of our first um, messages that we put on our sweatshirts and t-shirts and how that came about was we had a friend her grandfather was in hospice and on his hospice room wall he had a list of seven things to to, you know like rules to live by the first one was choose happiness so it's just in those conversations um again you know books i've read messages and in uh, podcasts where i'm kind of just gathering these ideas and then in that choose happiness Somebody probably uttered that. Like, I'm assuming there's other shirts that have that on right. it. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah. There, it's kind of, I mean, I think our, my main thing when I come up with messaging is to have it be a positive, inspirational, encouraging type message. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the words have been out there forever. So, yeah. and there's other products. But um, I think what sets us apart is obviously the give back. But as far as like giving credit, I, 
Yeah. I mean, if there's a direct quote, like we did a partnership with a, a school counselor in the Hopkins School District, and we did a um, Mr. Rogers quote. So mm-hmm. we then did put like that credit on the t-shirt itself. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, I just, I remember someone was talking about a Minnesota image and it was on a stick. And this person had graphic designed something that had this Minnesota image on a stick. And then they were like, you can't put Minnesota on a stick on a t-shirt. I own that. It's like, ah, no, you don't. Right. It's been out there forever. And unless they're using the exact image that you produced, there's no way you're going to trademark a Minnesota on a stick. No, not at this point. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, that's never been an issue. Okay. All right. So you figure out like, okay, we're going to inventory. We have this website. We have these slogans. This is feeling really good. Then how did you get people? Did you do pop-ups from the get-go? Because it's really hard to start an internet business and get traffic. Right. Yeah. So we, um, so the Christmas season of 2017 was our first pop-up and we did one at Ridgedale center. Um, and that was our very first one. And, um, I don't think I would do it again in that particular fashion. Uh, we've done other pop-ups since then, but that was just like, let's just test. I mean, I feel like we're still, I'm still in that testing phase. I mean, um, just like, you know, do the pop-up, see what the sales are, see what the traffic was, where are people finding our people. Um, and then last 2018, I kind of spent, um, tracking down the pop-ups that I would want to be a part of to help drive not only, um, like brand awareness, but then traffic to the website as well. I, cause I wonder if like, no offense against Ridgedale, but I don't know if you can just put up a pop-up in Ridgedale and resonate with the messaging of why you're doing this you probably have to be in markets where that customer is very much interested in a give back business and how that works. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, and you know, although, you know, the, that day went okay, but yes, you're right. I mean, just being smarter about like, you know, the, there are tons of markets out there and pop-ups, but more so than ever. Yes. But finding the ones that our people will be shopping. Yeah. Um, and again, too, um, we participated for the first time in the Minnesota uh, Christmas market. There was one at the uh, Nicollet Pavilion, and we also did the one in Brainerd. So obviously shoppers there, you know, it's a curated selection of makers. Um, uh, Mitch, who is part of the organization, yep. he's got, you know, with Northern Glass, they have a give back as well, too. So I feel like that um, our brands worked well, and that was a good fit for us yeah. as far as that market. So you are going to go to these markets, you're carrying inventory, you're working with the slogans. That's all got to feel really good. Let me ask you. So I have no idea. I can't remember when we sold a t-shirt, like what the profit margin on it was. Was it like, I don't know, 50% profit margin on apparel? I don't know. Let's just say it is. Yeah. So if you sell a t-shirt for $10 and your profit is $5, you give two fifty dollars of that to a uh, food insecure Correct. situation or Correct. charity. Mm-hmm. Why did you feel like, well, a normal business would take the 50% profit margin and put it in their pocket? Why did you feel like you could be successful with 25% less revenue than all those other companies? Right. Um, you know, looking at other companies that have done the same thing. So Love Your Melon, Tom's. I mean, there mm-hmm. are other um, give back companies that have done very well um, and 
you know, when we did originally like kind of researching as far as like, are there other apparel companies that give back? And at the time, yes, there were, but there weren't the, um, that were giving 50%. Yeah. I was going to say that amount is right. a lot. So, you know, I operate and we operate from an, uh, you know, a standpoint of abundance, like there's enough to go around, just like food, there's enough food to go around. It's just getting it into the hands of the people that need it at the right time. So it's very much, um, coming from that standpoint. So at this point, how many employees do you have? Is it just you and your husband still? Just me. My husband actually, he took the beginning of, um, 2018 and worked with me and then went back to his consulting business. Uh Um, so it's just me. Wearing and, all the hats. Yes. And so let's just talk about maker markets for a second. We're just coming off of a very robust maker holiday season. Most of the makers I worked with, I actually recorded a ton of episodes and then took like four weeks off myself because I knew none of my makers would be able to yeah, do anything. Just December is like yeah. November, December is like so swamped. Crazy. Yeah. Do you feel like we're at a maker saturation point or that a market saturation point? Um, not so much maker possibly market. Um, even when I did, um, markets throughout December, you know, I would have customers say, Oh, this is the third one I've been to this weekend. And they all had positive to think things to say about it. But I also think there's that novelty of it. Like if there, if you can go to a market any day of the week, you know, or on the weekends, what's the novelty of getting out of the house and going. I mean, yeah. I think there's something to be said for the scarcity model. Like, Hey, we're only going to be here. Yeah. X, Y, and Z. Um, I think, um, you may be aware too, but we're also on Fox run mobile market. Yep. And Tia and her company. Um, so, you know, the model of like, and just can't to, be everywhere, if you're listening, we podcasted with them probably about eight episodes ago, maybe 10, Um, and that is a mobile truck that has 12 to 13 makers inside the truck and they operate like their own storefront. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't be everywhere. What's interesting too, is I was that shopper. Like I would go when I was on weekends after I would get off the radio show and we would go and my husband and I would shop. And one Saturday we went to five markets at all breweries. Wow. And I like was the driver and it was our designated date day. And that's what we yeah. did. He mm-hmm. loved going to the breweries. I loved the shopping, mm-hmm. but you can only buy so many things, you know, by the right. time it's all said and done. And I feel like it's also a lot for the makers. Like there's just, if you're working every single day and you have to be at all these different places or four markets a weekend versus just going to one a weekend, it's really taxing on the makers. Right. Exactly. And I think too, I'm getting smarter about like what markets I'm going to do um, and what my time is worth, because if I'm at a market and I don't sell anything, that's time that I could have been working on the business. It's interesting. You mentioned that because I remember this real light bulb moment. I started working, I created a market, the river place farmer's market. And this was years ago. And, um, it was $25 to participate for the farmers and all these farmers came and we would have the market every week. And I got kind of close with one of the farmers and he was like, well, you know, yeah, it's $25, but here's how much my permitting costs. Here's how much, like he broke it down for me, how much it cost him to actually come and sell at the market. And there were just such skinny margins on that. Yes. And as the market manager, I was like, well, you can come to my market and sell for like $25. It's like, nothing. why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I really started to see it more from his perspective. And now I do the Stone Arch uh, Culinary Market, and I also do Art in Bayfront Park. And what's interesting is it's like Stone Arch has 75,000 people. 
So you'd think like, oh, like because that market's so huge. Well, what happens is, is because it's so huge, there's a lot of looky lose. There's a lot of shoppers. So their ability to engage with customers is a little bit less because they're so busy. Right, right. However, that same customer or that same product, let's just use a salsa product Mm -hmm. in Duluth because they don't have access to makers products up there and there's not as much of a robust marketplace, that same salsa guy will probably make the same amount of money at both markets and the Duluth market only reaches 15,000 people. Right. But he can really engage with those people and they'll buy multiple jars and you know, because they know like they're not just going to turn the corner and there'll be another market there. Right. Exactly. And I think too, to that point, being able to engage with your customers or potential customers, especially for us, you know, they might walk by and say, oh, it's t-shirts, sweatshirts. But until they realize that there's a mission behind it, that's when, you know, the magic happens. Yeah. And it's probably hard to explain that when someone's walking by, because, you know, the Minnesota thing where they walk about a foot in front of your table, look, they don't want to yeah. look you in the eye because you're <laughs> going to talk to them. Yes, yes, exactly. And early on, um, so in 2018, um, I was much more like any market that I found out about, I wanted to go yep. to because it's about bu- building that brand awareness. Sure. And again, testing, like where are our people? And so this year, m- you know, having all that knowledge now, much more, um, savvy about which markets I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, as far as time expense, all of that in terms of like your pricing. So a t-shirt with a slogan, are you competitively priced with other people? Yes. And actually I would say that we're, we're either the same price or a little bit less, especially when we get into the sweatshirts and stuff too. Okay. So if I'm like a corporation, which I am, I guess, Stephanie's dish LLC, and I want to buy um, T-shirts or is there a way that I can put my own slogans on and you can still use this model? Right. So we... Like a corporate, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So not only do we do the retail online and then the pop-ups, but we also do corporate and event-based apparel too. So um, we've done for the last two, three walks to end hunger at the Mall of America, we've provided the walker shirts. So we have the ability to... Um, do it at a lower cost, obviously. And then that still is a 50% match. It is. Or donation. That's Correct. so cool. Yes. That's so cool. And why wouldn't all these companies listening to this podcast use you versus their other t-shirt vendor if it comes down to, usually things come down to cost, right? service, or whatever um, give back model that you feel good about. Like right. if you can get cost and give back, and I just will assume you have good service, Yes, that's two, two out of three, right? right? Three out of three. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we do know uh, in those areas, the corporate and event-based apparel, we do need to be competitive with like the staples and, yep. and that kind of thing. Um, so we're not marking up just so that we can give back. I mean, we're, we're pretty price competitive. Yeah. And then what you said that I love is that you come from a scarcity model. So let's say on that purchase, you're only making $2 a shirt. You still feel like you can make it on your profit of $1 and your give back a $1. Exactly. exactly. And then there's the, the, you know, the other piece too, for those companies is they have that story to tell. Yes. Like our, you know, these corporate shirts that we, we, you know, um, made with spoonful, we've helped create 500 meals. And why wouldn't you, if you, why wouldn't you do good if you could? Exactly. Like sometimes you can't, sometimes you yeah. got to buy from Amazon. Sometimes whatever you got to right. do, you right. got to do. Yeah. But if you have the influence or the power or the ability or the choice, like what a great gift. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and to me, uh, 
I think consumers are much more of that mindset. Like if I'm going to buy product A and product B, they're the same, but you know, and their price points the same, but this one is going to give back. I'd much That's rather an easy go. Choice to yeah, make. exactly. Yeah. Um, it seems like a no brainer. It's spoonfulapparel.com. You mentioned that you're getting into coffee cups and some of the other things. Is, is that something where maybe digitally makes more sense so that you don't have to carry as much inventory? Um, you know, I'm not sure at this point. I mean, I, I, I specifically love, um, being able to still package all of the, yeah. the, have that hands-on experience. I mean, you know, cross your fingers, God willing, someday I won't be have, you know, our business will be so big that I won't be able to be a part of that. Yeah, you know, you'll we'll hire have someone. Right, sure. exactly. Um, but, uh, it's something I'm looking into, even just the direct to garment, the different, um, screen printing capabilities that are out there too. Yep. just like kind of getting more educated about that as well. I wonder too, like this maybe wouldn't work cause it's kind of expensive, but like chain stitching and some of the more, um, fashion forward type of applications. Right, right. right. Exactly. Because that's, that's the route I would like to go is to not only, uh, you know, with the give back, but I want to be able to produce a garment that is fashion forward. Yeah. Um, but has that story as well. And I wonder if maybe just brainstorming with you for one second, <laughs> if it's like vintage, if it's taking all of those vintage pieces and finding a way to repurpose them or remake them, or mm-hmm. there's so I many like that idea. cool applications there. Yeah. Because it does feed into your story of taking right. something that already exists, but yeah. making it, um, better helping using that need. Right. Um, and I love the, just the collaboration idea of that too. You yeah. Know, if, you know, obviously, um, there's probably a handful of makers out there that have that expertise yes, too, to something be able to really tap cool. into that too. Yeah. All right. I always ask people, um, this is an opportunity to name or share businesses that you think are really cool or people that have impacted you that have helped you along the way. Um, I really, so another one of them, all the makers on the truck, I love. Yes, and that's Fox Run Mobile. Fox Run Mobile Market. Um, But uh, Lauren from Essence One, love her. Yeah, she's Lauren Van Scoy. We've interviewed her also on this podcast about a year ago. Right. So I actually first met her um, in uh, 2017. I was actually invited to be a part of Rose and Loon at the mm-hmm. uh, Rosedale Mall. So we met there. Um, love her. Love working with her. Um, gosh. Um, Don't you think that like somebody like her, she made such an impression on me too. Like there's just people that lift people up and you talk about this. Like when I first started in printing in particular, I was like, don't tell anyone like how much things cost and don't tell anyone this and don't tell anyone that. I was so afraid someone was going to find out like what our secret sauce was. Yes. And then my husband one day was like, we have no secret sauce. We buy paper from someone. We print on it. We do a good job. Maybe there's people that do better. Maybe there's people that do worse and we have a price point attached and we have to be competitively priced. That's all that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Like you're not doing something that's so revolutionary that you can't talk to someone in your same industry and share or, you know, be more open and come from us that abundant mindset. Right. Exactly. And I think I really feel like, um, the makers that I've met have that same mindset, like, we're, they're willing to collaborate, willing to just like be a sounding board. And I think it's a, it's a, um, a mindset of 
collaboration over competition. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, I just feel like the world's just better that way. Yes. Like not, it doesn't have to be a competition. I mean, you know, like brands can compete, but still both profit. Right. I wished I would have learned that sooner. I think I didn't learn that until as both a woman too. Mm-hmm. Also like, cause I think women are super competitive with other women. Yeah. And you know, we say we're collaborative and we are more collaborative than men just generally, mm-hmm. but I still didn't always feel like I was living my truth and walking my talk. I was saying it, but then behind the scenes, I was still having all these jealousy and competitive yes. feelings. It's so hard with like Instagram and all the social yes. media out there because you think people are killing it, you know, as far as like their, uh, sales and stuff, but you know, and, and, and oftentimes they are, but I think too, there's like that piece of like being human and, and knowing that we all have the same struggles. We all have the same doubts. And there's some days you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? Like, I need to stop, you know, like we're not going to be successful. But then, you know, you have those conversations with other makers and they're like, ah, I have those same thoughts too. You just have to push through it. Yeah. And even like, you know, how much are you paying for your website development? How much are you paying for your this and that? Like it's really varied uh, what people pay for different things and just getting like some benchmarking. I was always like, Whoa, that's crazy. We don't pay nearly as much as you do. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you could do this and get a better deal or credit card processing is another one. Like that is super subjective. Yes. And whether you're going to get a bank to give you a loan and what you need. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I think collaboration, if you can truly do it in the spirit with which it's intended and have that within yourself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. What do you see moving forward in the next like year? Like you mentioned, you want to do wholesale. Like, what does that mean? You want to have, uh, I call it pagina, which is actually patina, um, (laughs) like a place like that, sell your products or yes. yes. I like you, those kind of relationships. Yeah. So finding those, um, you know, Again, it's just me, so I don't want to grow too fast too soon. Uh, But then, you know, doing the legwork and finding out, like, what are a handful of stores that we would like to have our things in. Um, And then also, too, is, like, really focusing on the marketing piece. And because right now... Because nobody knows your story. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I need to work on that. Like, how do we... How do I reach more people? And even though we've made sales in 27 different states, um, I want the the brand awareness to be kind of global. Um, that's an interesting, do you, that's an interesting thought because do you tackle that? Like, do you get public awareness here? And then does that beget, like, how do you start that? Do you, do you start just in Minnesota and you get really, comfortable with what we have to offer here and then start to expand and expand and expand. I don't know because you don't have enough money to be a global no, player right, at this point. Exactly. But for us, it's, it's for me. Um, so I did this series, um, 12 days of style on our Instagram. And so I reached out to 12 different individuals. I said, Hey, can I send you a t-shirt? And, um, you'll take a few pictures of yourself wearing it and then a blurb about like what your business is. So like kind of cross promoting, but uh-huh. in a kind of like free sense. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of really good, um, uh, feedback from that. So it's just finding, even if it's, um, you know, reaching out to a, a few individuals like influencers, micro influencers in other States and just trying to build it slowly that way too. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know really what the right 
formula is. Um, and but- when you get there, because that's the other thing too. I just met with another guy who's working and he's got an actual food product, but he's like, I need to expand my reach, but I also feel like I should hire someone. And I don't know, like, do I hire a PR company for $4,000 a month or do I use that $4,000 a month to hire somebody, which then frees me up to do more of the PR myself? Exactly. I yeah. suppose those are the questions you're thinking about. Yeah. If you had to make that choice today, which way would you lean? Uh, between hiring somebody or... Or putting like the money into PR. Um, oh, gosh. I would probably hire somebody. Yeah. Because I feel like then there's still that sense of keeping it kind of in-house. Yeah. You do have a really good story. And um, I'm pleased that you are deciding to share it with me. So hopefully we can share it with others. Uh, If people want to contact you about t-shirts and working with you or just purchase t-shirts, obviously spoonfulapparel.com. But is there um, any other way that you want them to see your work or is that? So we're on Instagram and Facebook as well at uh, Spoonful Apparel. Um, If you want to reach out about wholesale or connecting, collaborating, um, shoot me an email. It's just Susan at SpoonfulApparel.com. All right. I love it. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much. Mm 